Good morning. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you this morning where we get to open up God's word, where we get to pray to him, where we get to sing his praises together. Uh, what, a, what a delightful place to be on Sunday morning. I'm convinced there's no greater place to be actually is to gather with God's people, singing praises to his name and opening God's word that we might know him better and live for him more. I wonder if you've ever escaped some really dangerous situation. I mean, I've done a lot of dumb things in my day that has required a number of delivering tactics, uh, but really actually nothing like what my dreams are. Every time I remember my dreams, they aren't petting newborn puppies and they're not catching butterflies in a meadow. Uh, they're spy dreams. And every time I'm on the run, and I need to escape some crazy situation. I'm always on the opposite side of a bunch of gunmen. Okay, that's what every single one of my dreams involves. Every dream is like that. Sometimes, sometimes there's, oftentimes I wake up, they're so intense that I physically feel exhausted after sleeping. And sometimes I have to ask Jennifer if, if these things actually happened or not. It's really weird. So sometimes I wake up and I have these fears that don't even exist. And then that fear easily begins to spin in my head and then I begin to fear the future uh, and then I quickly, that fear that turns into fear in the future quickly leads into fearing then present circumstances that might lead to that future that came from my dream. Uh, well, this morning... We will see in our passage that great trials oftentimes cause great fear. And yet God provides something greater for us than fear when we trust in his providential plans. What we do is we find rest. We find great hope in God. In fact, that's why we've been singing the songs that we have been singing this morning. Find my strength in the Lord. That's not on accident. It's not like we just spun a wheel and we're like, what song should we play this Sunday? No, they're meant to go along with what we are going to be reading about. So let's look together this morning on how we can find great race, rest and hope in God together. Now, last Sunday, we started a new sermon series called Exodus, the Gospel in the Old Testament. And this is an important book for us because the book of Exodus gives us a framework for what it means to live the Christian life today. It helps us understand what it means that God saves. And the book of Exodus helps us to understand the gospel by which we are saved and helps us to trust God and his good plan. And so what we've been doing is every sermon series, we have a verse of the series that we study and we memorize and we recite together so that it will aid in our discipleship together. So you're not just hearing some Bible story and then forgetting about it when you leave. But no, these are meant to transform our lives. The Bible is meant to transform us. And so by meditating on God's word together, it helps us understand God's word and helps us do that. And so we are memorizing as a church, Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. Uh, if you don't want to look at it on your screen, it is inside uh, the bulletin right here under the sermon scripture series. And so that is for you to be able to, to look at. Let's say it together, shall we? Exodus 6, verse 7. 
I will take you from be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Let's pray, asking that God would do a good work through his word this morning. Lord, we pray that in Exodus 2, you would help us to not fear future trials, you would not help us, that you would help us to not fear present trials, but actually, God, that we would trust in your providence, that you remember your promises, that you see our trials, that you know, and that you act, and that you love your people. God, would you help us do that this morning? In Christ's name, amen. So I encourage you, if you have a Bible, to open up to Exodus chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. In your sermon notes, we have the entire chapter of Exodus 2 right on there for you that Austin so faithfully read for us, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We really are going through the first 19 chapters of Exodus in 13 weeks. I get that math, and I get that that's hard. Uh, And so uh, we are going to trust that that you have the the scripture in front of you, and we're going to trust that that you can refer back to it, and so we're not going to read it again this morning but we want to look at it and see what the message of Exodus is for us. And this morning, we want you to walk away with this, that this is what I think is Moses' point in Exodus chapter 2. Don't fear the future or present trials because in God's providence, God remembers, God sees, God knows, God acts, and God loves his people. That's what we want you to come away with this morning. Do not fear future or present trials in your life because in God's good providence, God remembers and he sees and he knows and he acts and God loves his people. And so we're going to look at this kind of in three ways. We're going to see how God preserved Moses in the first 10 verses, then we're going to see how Moses flees from Egypt, and then we're going to look at this last part where, where we see that God knows. And so in the first 10 verses of Exodus 2, here's what we see. Exodus, the, the, the book, goes from focusing on all of God's people to then focusing on the male children being born, and now to one special person being born, one special son. And so the end of Exodus 1 concluded with casting these young men into the Nile River to drown. And now Exodus 2 begins with Moses being drawn out of the Nile River. At the time of Moses' birth, these male children, uh, this male children genocide was still happening. Moses was born, his parents were delighted, and his parents took the risk of hiding him for three months. It probably wasn't too hard to do this, especially since babies were dressed in a way then that kind of made it look gender neutral. It's easy to hide the gender for a little bit. But whatever the circumstances are, the circumstances arose that Moses' mother was no longer able to hide Moses. And so she made a basket and put it and placed him in the river among the reeds. Uh, This was most likely, commentators think, a way that Moses' mother was going to try to still keep him Right? So they weren't constantly, they didn't have guards inside every single person's house. But they would do raids, and most likely during the day, 
And so th- there were, was most likely some sort of communication group that would, when there was a day raid of a house that was coming to see if there were male children in the house that were supposed to have been cast out into the Nile, well, mothers w- might have had some ability to go and hide the children for a little bit of time. Okay, so Moses' mom may not have been the only one that did this. But we do see that she does make a bis- basket, puts him in it, places him in the river among the reeds. That way Moses' mother could try to still keep him so that if there was a house raid, she could hide him and then go get him again. But what's really interesting that we quickly see is that uh, Moses' basket doesn't stay where it is, right? In fact, actually, his basket, that should be a major key. If you Raise your hand if you read Hebrew. Anyone in here? No? Okay, that's okay because th- this would have been like a big flag for Hebrew readers, okay? So, so what's really interesting is, is how Moses' basket is described. In verse 3, the, the word basket is translated the same way that the book of Genesis translates the word ark, okay? So in Genesis 6 through 8, when they use the word ark, referring to Noah, okay, that same word is like a little mini ark, And that's important for us when we recognize what Moses is doing here as he's writing the book of Exodus. Our minds should go back to Noah. God preserves Noah and God's people and these animals from death through an ark in the midst of this judgment and drowning, right? And what happens here? God is now preserving Moses, graciously protecting him in this small ark from death by drowning. So theologians compare Moses as the new Noah, leading God's people away from the wrath of God, as we will see in chapters to come. Noah was there at the outset of God, who led a select few of God's people away from God's wrath. The same thing we see with Moses. And it begins with an ark, and both establish a new stage of God unfolding this plan of redemption for his people. And at this point in Exodus, God has not yet delivered his people. God still needed to preserve Moses. And so that is exactly what God does, though through an unlikely source. Moses' sister is on the watch to see what happens to Moses' mini ark, his little, his little basket, And she watches Moses in the basket. And who should find him among the reeds? Pharaoh's daughter. Right? Of all the people to find Moses. It just happened to be a daughter from Pharaoh. Of all the people who would go and gather it. It just happens to be Pharaoh's daughter. Of all the people to find Moses, who just happened to that day go down to that part of the river and bathe. It just happened to be the daughter of Pharaoh. And she looked inside and she saw that it was a baby from the Hebrews. And Moses' cry just happened to, to pierce her heart in just a way that she thinks, I can't leave him like this. And so she decides to undermine her father's policy and has pity on the baby Moses. Moses' sister, who we find out later is named Miriam, is quick-witted, and she somehow just happened to have had access to speak to Pharaoh's daughter, and she just happened to have thought of the idea 
that, that she could find someone to nurse this crying baby, right? Because that's what babies need when they cry. They need, they're hungry. That's the first thing I think when my children cry, I just assume they're hungry. Uh, and so she just, and, and Pharaoh's daughter, what, what happens? She just happens to say yes to Miriam. And so mother's, or Moses' mother keeps Moses, we find out. She nurses him until a time when he's done nursing and, and then is presented back to Pharaoh's daughter. So Moses really happened to get the best of both worlds. His life was spared. He grew up in the comforts of the wealthy. And yet he had a real his real mother raised him and teach him who his real identity was. Moses not only was rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, but he grew up under the protection of the one who was threatening his existence. There's certainly some irony in what's taking place here, right? Pharaoh's method of execution for these sons is the very means for saving Moses being drawn out of the Nile? The, daughter who, the daughters who are allowed to live are the ones who end up thwarting Pharaoh's plans? Moses' mother saves Moses by following Pharaoh's orders with her own twist. She does put him in the Nile, but in a basket. Consider how a member of Pharaoh's own house undermines his policies by saving the very person who would lead Israel out of Egypt and destroy their dynasty. Consider how Moses' mother gets paid to do what she wants to do from Pharaoh's own budget. Why is this important? Because it reveals that with all that is weak in the world and all that is strong in the world, nothing is random but is used in God's good providence. God moves in unlikely, vulnerable, and yet unstoppable ways. So let's just consider for a moment the providence of God. Are you ever amazed at the providential work of God? At every turn in Exodus 2, we see not luck, but God's hand at work. When you see things in your own life, do you, do you immediately say it's lucky or unlucky? Or do you honestly see each circumstance working out as the providence of God, attributing God to what is going on? See, we should not be surprised at God's providence. We should be excited when we see it. In fact, the providence of God should drive us to rest and find great hope in God. Consider what Jesus says about God's good providence in Matthew 10, 29. He's talking about sparrows who are of little value, and yet God concerns himself so much with their existence that one never even dies apart from his will. Jesus says, not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from your father's will. And you are much more of value than of many sparrows, and therefore God will much more concern himself with you so that nothing happens to you apart from God's gracious will. The reason we know God's will for us is gracious is that he's called our Father. Right? Remember what, what Jesus says in Matthew 7, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And then Jesus adds one more ingredient for us to find hope in God's providence in Matthew 10, verse 30. He says this, even the hairs on your head are numbered. Which means God's got to count higher on my head than he does on Scott's. God knows us better than we even know ourselves. Because I don't know how many hairs are on my head. Scott does, but I don't. He has counted and numbered every hair, even though they are of little value. And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your good Father's will. Seeing the providence of God at work in the life of Moses should give us great hope in uncertain times. Right? The fires in Australia are going berserk. People keep claiming there's about to be a World War III. Who knows what happened to that plane? Was it shot down on purpose or not? We have all sorts of things that are, are at the front of our minds saying this is going to be a problem. Let, not even to have to worry about the other things that are personally going on in our lives. And yet, when we read Exodus, we should see that none of these things are random, but they are by God's good providence. And that we see that God preserves Moses. And so we should find great hope in our circumstances as well, because the same God is our God, that is Moses' God. In Exodus chapter 1, we see God using two women midwives to, to save these Hebrew babies. And now we see God using three women to save baby Moses from death. I think it's right for us to see that the motives of these women seem to be pure and appropriate. Their faithfulness to this noble role is no less faithful than the Israelite midwives of Exodus chapter 1. God used the unique equipping of these women to preserve and raise Moses to the point to where we read in Hebrews 11, it finds the same conclusion. It says this, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Well, friends, that's the same call for us. We should find trust and hope, not fear, with things that are going on in our lives. So don't fear the future or present trials because in God's providence, God remembers, he sees, he knows, God acts and God loves his people. Well, let's look at this next part. Moses fleeing, verses 11 through 22. So our passage kind of skips ahead when Moses is now an adult most likely around 40 years old. He encounters a situation where an Egyptian is beating on a Hebrew, one of Moses' people. Did you guys catch that in verse 11? Do you notice how Moses is described not by identifying with the Egyptians, even though he grew up under the wealth of the Egyptians. He grew up in Pharaoh's daughter's household, but he doesn't identify with them. He identifies with his people, the passage says. The Hebrews. That's exactly what we read about in the New Testament concerning Moses, right? In Hebrews 11, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, 
refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered, get this, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Do you ever wonder who you consider to be your people? Who are your people? Who are the ones you associate with, that that you identify with, and, and you're willing to stand with? Well, there's usually all sorts of categories we could find here, right? It's good and it's right for your family to be in that mix. We usually associate ourselves with organizations or ideals that we agree with and and will give us advantages or privileges. But above any kind of social issue, above any political organization, above any sports affiliation or school or nationalistic identity, even above your family association, Christian, we are called to most identify with Christ, to be named his above anything else. Our identification with Christ above all, is the difference between a banker who goes to church versus a Christian who happens to work at a bank. It's the difference between a teacher who reads the Bible and a Christian who works at a school. It's the difference between someone being a Moffat who attends Sunday school versus a Christian who happens to have the last same name as Moffat. Christians are Christians first above everything else. Do you guys realize that Jesus has identified with us by taking our sin? The book of Isaiah is clear. Jesus has borne our griefs, Isaiah 53 says, and carried our sorrows. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. So Jesus came in the flesh, the son given to us, then identifies with us, stands with us, and associates with us. Jesus so identifies with us that when God sees us, he then sees us hidden in Christ so that all that is wonderful about Christ becomes ours. But what does it look like to identify with Jesus? Well, The scriptures are clear. We are called to be baptized and then we are to be numbered among God's people. We are to join the bride of Christ to partner in the gospel as ambassadors of the kingdom to the world. And so when Moses could have identified with the Egyptians, instead, Moses identified with his people. Moses stood with his people. He associated with his people. And that picture is the same that Jesus does with us. So there's this altercation and an Egyptian is beating a Hebrew and Moses comes to the Hebrew man's aid. Moses kills the Egyptian and then he does what anyone else would do. He buries him in the sand. Moses thinks he got away with it because he didn't think anyone saw it. But the news of Moses killing an Egyptian is spreading faster than wildfire. So either Moses didn't do a very good job of digging holes growing up, uh, or he wasn't as alone as he thought. But the very next day, he then tries to solve a dispute between two of his people, and they both knew that Moses had killed the Egyptian. So Moses identified with his people, 
and then they reject Moses' association with them. Quickly, news travels fast up to Pharaoh because the grandson of a Pharaoh is watched and Pharaoh wants to know what his family legacy is going to give him. And so now it's clear that Moses is not an Egyptian. He clearly identifies with his people, the Hebrews. So Pharaoh then seeks to have Moses killed. And so Moses, valuing his life, he flees to Midian, away from Pharaoh, not knowing where he's going or what he would encounter, and yet he is trusting God. Do you guys ever consider how God is equipping Moses to be the leader of Israel? Moses was allowed to understand both the experience of fleeing Egypt before he had to lead people to do it. And he understood a great deal about survival in the Sinai wilderness. Knowledge that, that would be helpful in God's preparation of him to assume the position of leader for God's deliverance. It makes me wonder, what is God equipping you today for tomorrow's hardships? This isn't only with Moses. It has to include you and me. What has happened to you in the past that is not simply designed to be closed up in a box, never to be opened again or never to be spoken about, but what has happened to you and me in the past is actually to be used for God's people and his kingdom, which means for God and his people. And that's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1. He says this, this God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Your really hard circumstance is not meant to be shouldered alone. Your really hard circumstance and what's happening in your life is meant to be shouldered along the side with others that you have covenanted with, like your brother and sister gospel partners. But when your really hard circumstances are then meant to be shared as a way of helping other believers toward greater hope and faithfulness and following God, seeing the trustworthiness knowing that God doesn't abandon us. So nothing we ever do is random and nothing that ever happens to us is random because if it is random, then it would be accidental and then it would be pointless. But we know that nothing in our lives is accidental or pointless. It doesn't mean that everything is automatically good. It doesn't mean that we need to pretend like everything is roses in our lives. It means that God uses terrible things in our lives for our good and God's glory. So how can you display God's awesomeness with the hard circumstances that you are facing right now? How can you see the good that is coming as a result of these circumstances? Well, friends, that doesn't happen by yourself. That happens with the lives of others around you. So for example, 2014, uh, the Moffats lost a child. On the day when excitement comes, hoping to bring a child home from the hospital, I was instead calling a funeral home 
and cemeteries to find how much it costs to bury a dead child. Those days were hard. Those days shaped uh, Jennifer and myself in ways we never imagined. As a result, we began to hate sin and the effects of a fallen world more than we ever had. We also longed for heaven and the day when death would be no more. When <laughs> when pain and sorrow would be no more. More than we ever could have imagined. God also gave us the ability to sympathize with others who are going through terrible circumstances in ways I just wasn't able to do before. In our terrible circumstances, God was equipping us for future ministry for your sake. For your sake. We've been comforted by the comfort that God brings so that when you are in any affliction, we can comfort you with the comfort that God has given us. So on the run, Moses stops at a well that in God's good providence is where seven of the daughters of the priests of Midian are in need of help. And Moses again comes to the rescue. Moses knows nothing of these ladies, yet he stood up for them and he saved them and he helped water their flock. And he's, Moses is showing boldness and this desire to rescue here. Have you ever experienced something tragic and it makes you extra sensitive to others who suffer in the same way? Well, I think that's what Moses has seen here. He, he's felt the oppression of the Egyptians on him and his people. And so he sees the oppression of these ladies by these ruthless shepherds. And so because of his experiences in Egypt, he steps in boldly to act. Moses, who has nowhere to go, no place to be, no direction, stays with the family, takes one of them to be his wife, and she bears a son. And yet what we should see is that not even Moses' family decisions are random or apart from the providence of God. Because what we're going to see, spoiler alert, he happens to be watching his father's flock uh, in chapter 3 that happens to go onto Mount Sinai or Horeb where the mountain of God is, where he happens to then come in to encounter God. He didn't even see what was going to happen, but God did. God planned it. So with the Egyptian beating the Hebrew, with the two Hebrews fighting each other, now with these daughters of the priest of Midian, in each of these circumstances, Moses is being portrayed as the defender of the weak. God was preparing him. So brother and sister, do not fear the future or present trials because in God's providence, God remembers, he sees, he knows, he acts, and God loves his people. Let's look at this last part of Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. So while Moses fled, he got married, he started a family, things back in Egypt didn't get any better. The king of Egypt died, but Israel's slavery didn't lighten up. But in their distress, in their pain, God was not absent. Israel groaned to God. They prayed and cried out to him. They needed deliverance. And God was preparing for that very thing in Exodus 2. He'd been preserving Moses 
He'd been saving Moses. God was preserving a deliverer for Israel by preserving Moses. And God, like Moses, cares for the oppressed. With God's people, God hears them, our passage says. God remembers, he sees, and God knows. So at the, at the very heart of this, God's covenant is a promise that the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob will possess the land of Canaan. God promised that they would be free from their slavery. So you might be here this morning and life might be overwhelming. And that's okay. You may be here today, you may feel like life is fine, but know that there will be a day in the short future when life will be overcoming again. When you will feel overwhelmed. What are you going to do then? How are you going to respond to troubles, to your situation, and to your problems? Well, what does Israel do here? They trust and pray to God, even when life looks too overwhelming. Why? Because God's not deaf. He sees, he hears, he knows. God loves his people. God heard Israel. God will hear you. God saw his people and God sees you in your situations. God knew what was going on in Israel and God knows what's going on in your life too. God sent Moses to be the deliverer for Israel and God has sent us a deliverer too. God has sent Jesus to be our deliverer from our slavery of sin. God has sent Jesus to save us Later in the Bible, in the book of Matthew, Jesus is connected to Moses as the ultimate picture of God delivering and saving his people. So Matthew 2 echoes this idea when we think about the birth of Jesus, who was born in a little trough, much like Moses, right, in a basket. Jesus, a son who would be the savior of the world, is born. He's laid in this rough bassinet by his lowly mother, survives the senseless murder of children by a violent king. And Jesus, the greater Moses, Jesus is greater than Moses because he delivers us from something more than just physical slavery. Moses and the slavery of Israel and Egypt prepares us to understand the type of slavery that we are born in today. Yes, we were born in the United States, but we are all born as slaves to our sin. And we need a deliverer, someone outside of ourselves to come and rescue us from the mess that we've made. And so God in his kindness sent Jesus down to earth, perfectly prepared to be our substitute on the cross, so that by his blood, we'll get to that later on in the book of Exodus, of blood being poured out for the deliverance of God's people. Jesus, by dying on the cross, his blood poured out for us, his body broken for us, so that we can be hidden in Christ. 
We can find forgiveness from God, reconciliation with him so that we're no longer enemies or foreign to God. We become part of God's family through faith. And that's what we have to look forward to by reading the book of Exodus. We begin to see that all of this has been planned out from before the foundation of the world. God has been planning Jesus' greatest deliverance from sin and slavery today. And so all of us who find hope in Christ, who've been forgiven of our sins against God because God has laid our punishment that we deserve on Jesus instead, we can find hope and forgiveness and then trust that every single one of our circumstances are not random or pointless, but are used to make us more like Christ ready to be God's people, who he will deliver finally and ultimately when Christ returns. So friends, don't fear the future or present trials in this life because in God's providence, God remembers, he sees, God knows, God acts, and God loves his people. The providence of God is not meant for us to swing like a sword towards others. The providence of God is meant for us to rest upon like a pillow, knowing that we do not hold the future, but God who knows us and sees us and acts for us, he does hold all things. What a great hope in danger and distress. What a great trust that we can have in a faithful God who never abandons his people. Praise God for that. Well, let's spend a few moments responding to God's word. You're welcome to come to the front and pray if you'd like. You're welcome to respond right where you're sitting. But let's not ignore God's word. Let's hear it and then respond to it in faith. And then I'll close us in prayer and, and the band will lead us in another song. Let's spend a few moments responding to God. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. That is so much a comfort for us when we are in distress when we do not know what is going to come upon us tomorrow, and when we don't know what is around the corner, God, thank you that your word brings comfort and hope to us because there has never been a situation where your people have been apart from your great promises. God, thank you for the ways that that you were preserving Moses to become the deliverer that Israel needed. God, thank you that you, through your great promise, have sent your Son for us. God, we pray that in every hard circumstance, you would give us the grace to trust you more, that you would indeed help us to recognize that you are working beyond what we can see. And so, God, we actually thank you for 
every hard circumstance. Because we know that they aren't random. They are actually being used for our good and for your namesake. So Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to rest in your good providence. Because God, we know that you see us. We know that you hear our prayers. We know that you know our sufferings. And God, we know that you act for your people and that you love us. So Lord, help us to trust you. We pray in Christ's name, amen. What a good hope we have in our Savior who has defeated even death for us. We'll hear now our benediction from the book of Romans where Paul says this, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Enjoy the rest of your Lord's Day.